Media Bistro's Morning Media Menu. I'm Jason Bogue, the editor of Media Bistro's publishing blog, Galley Cat, and your host for the next 15 minutes. Also joined by my partner in crime, agency spy editor, Matt Van Hoven. Good morning, Matt. Morning, Jason. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce Tim O'Brien. He's the National Book Award winner, uh, author of In the Lake of the Woods, Tom Cat and Love, and uh, 20 years ago, The Things They Carried. A book of uh, a collection of stories about the Vietnam War that has influenced a generation of writers. Good morning, Mr. O'Brien. Good morning. Good to be here. Yeah, it's a real honor to have you on. Um, do you yes. want to just introduce our writers to this collection um, and uh, kind of just uh, how it came about 20 years ago? Sure. Uh, I was writing in the Lake of the Woods, maybe midway through the book, and ran into pretty big problems and couldn't really make much progress, so I met had a luncheon with my editor in Boston and, you know, just kind of proposed a change of pace and said mm-hmm. I had an idea that had been twinkling in the back of my head for a while that had to do with writing a novel that took the form of a memoir, essentially, that a reader may really wonder, is this novel or so-called novel really a novel or is it instead, you know, a testament about individual experience? And uh, he said, yeah, we'll give it a shot, and I did. And a year or two or three later, the book was finished. Much harder to write than I, than I anticipated at first. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. and, and this is Matt, by the way. Um, how did you develop the notions about truth that you used throughout the book? I mean, I, this is one of the first stories I can remember. Uh, I'm sorry, the worst one of the first books I can remember reading where this idea was presented that, you know, some, all, everything that's happened here is there's a sense of truth to it, mm-hmm. but maybe that didn't actually happen. Well, life delivered it to me. I don't think I really developed it. It was, you get in a circumstance such as a war or a bad marriage or a father dying or whatever, and the whole matter of what's true and what's not seems to go upside down, turns around inside you. Thou shalt not kill becomes you better kill or we'll court-martial you. Hmm. And all the old, you know, platitudes and cliches that seem so rock-certain, even a month or two earlier, suddenly are are shifting beneath you. So really, it's not a not a matter of intellect or or rationality or. Uh, novels, you know, cleverness. It has to do with what life delivered to me. Everything seems so uncertain, including things I was rock sure about myself. Hmm. One one thing we do have that makes this book very timely to look at again is the Iraq War has been going on for many years now. How do you think this is going to influence the next generation of writers and even your own writing? Well, I, that's a great question, and I wish I had a definitive answer for you. Mm-hmm. I don't. I do know that it takes time for you know really good books to flow out of any experience. You think of you know, World War II or Slaughterhouse Five. I think was published in the 60s, mm-hmm. early 60s. Uh, you know, but it takes. There's a time period where you you have to step back away from your own autobiography and the massive detail of your own experience and make, if not sense of it, to get perspective on it and a kind of distance that. To, to avoid the typical first novel's problem of immersion and petty detail that's important to the writer but maybe trivial to the to the reader so it, that that time needs to needs to pass i think mm-hmm. having said that i've read a couple of 
really fine first-person accounts of uh, the soldiers' experience in Iraq, one written by a woman and the other by a man, and both uh, really affected me. I had an uncanny sense of deja vu as I was reading both these books. Well, can you tell us what those books are? Uh, I feel reluctant to do it because okay. I feel I'd be hurting other people okay. um, yeah. by not mentioning their books. So I, I, and having gone through this myself, I, I try to be careful of other writers' feelings. And, <laughs> and I think that's important for young writers not to get too much you know, bad stuff coming at them, even if it's the stuff of silence. Yeah. Um, so you've, it's been 20 years, and you've written a number of books um, throughout your career. Did this bring back any memories for you, anything that had happened uh, the first time this book came around? I mean, I know it was a little bit more timely then, obviously, um, but it was still years after the war had ended. So, Yeah. Well, I have two kind of contradictory feelings about it all. One is that, obviously, I'm delighted and happy that the things they carried has endured this long, that a lot of really fine books have been published and well-reviewed, and people have liked them. And they'll vanish. <clears throat> and to have a book survive, even for a couple of decades, is a kind of mini miracle. It's what every author dreams of. You don't want to just be read by you know, people of your own era. You, know, you hope for history. And the contradictory feeling is there's a kind of sadness that accompanies this for me. So I'm on a book tour now for the 20th anniversary of the things they carried. And I find myself saying a lot of the things I said. 20 years ago hmm. in the context of you know two new wars and the the repetition over two decades is, is saddening to me mm-hmm. that is a very sad thing to think about one, one thing we do have a lot of aspiring writers in the audience and practicing writers and you've worked for many years as a writing professor and teaching others how to do what you do what what is the kind of the daily writing practice that you have and what's the advice that you give to young writers well i my own writing practice is get up and go to work and work all day and then do it on the next day and the next and the weekends and my birthday and christmas and <laughs> I I have to be that way. That stories for me are a lot like a, a good dream. That when you if you were to wake up from it and go to the refrigerator and get a glass of orange juice, it's hard to get back into it. Mm-hmm. In fact, I can't. And I feel that way about a novel that's in progress or even a short story. That if I were if I were to leave it, I can remember intellectually what's going on and what I had hoped would you know become of this material. But it's hard to regenerate the passion, having left it, and the spark that's underneath it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, why did I even care about this material? Mm-hmm. And I, to lose that is to lose everything. Yeah. So I try to preach to students uh, tenacity and stubbornness, being a kind of mule that's walking up the mountain, and keep plotting. That inspiration is important. But you're you're not going to get it in a bowling alley here on a golf course or all the other things you can be doing. If you're not sitting there, the the inspiration is going to simply pass. So I talk about that, and I talk about learning the English language, grammar, and the conventions of of you know our language. Uh, something's gone wrong in our 
our schools. It's sad to see even in MFA programs where students don't know how to make decent sentences. Mm-hmm. Well, in a lot of cases, and I'm talking about grown 35-year-old students who speak, you know, fine English, but they don't, for some reason don't write it. And the students hate hearing that, but it's, I think it's absolutely essential for for success. I don't mean publishing, but I mean a successful piece of work. Mm-hmm. Do you have um, soldiers ever reach out to you, or you know, former soldiers, or anyone? I do. That it's, that's the, probably the chief joy of the 20 years that have gone by since the publication of the book. And I get letters and emails from Iraq and Afghanistan. And I, Hear not just from the soldiers, but I hear also from their wives and their kids, and brothers, sisters. And by say here, I mean I get the most eloquent and, and uh, heartbreaking and uplifting uh, communications of various sorts, which all more or less say the same thing. They will say they'll begin by saying my husband or my dad is silent about it all and won't say anything or won't say much and I encountered your book and read it and sent it to my father my brother and he read it and we began talking and the forms of the talk are are radically different depending on a person's experience but it's it's money and awards and all that just it all pales beside what books can do in people's lives. Mm. You think of books, as I do anyway, as going out into a kind of black hole out there where they <laughs> just vanish. I mean, I don't know who's reading them, but when you get when you get letters of the sort that cross my desk, man, it, it reminds me of why I became a writer in the first place. It was to, it was to kind of get into people's hearts. And... Um were you actually, uh, and forgive my uh, lack of memory here, but did you fight yourself? Were you a soldier or were you? I was, yeah. I was a draftee out of Minnesota. Ended up mm-hmm. at an infantry company in Vietnam. And did the terrible stuff of plodding along with a rifle in my hands and a rucksack. And I was, yeah. And how long were you uh, in country? I was in the field for nine months. And then I got a job in what they called the rear. It was a really just a forward fire base with some wire around it. But at least it was safer than the first nine months. Yeah. I, I had one last question, and I think we'll be able to wrap up for this. Um, one thing that has changed in the last 20 years since you wrote The Things They Carried is uh, we, we now have the Internet. We now have all these digital tools. Digital books are becoming more prominent now. What, what, what do you think about the way writing looks now uh, with, with all these new tools? Does it make you excited? Does it make you apprehensive? Well, it's a mixture of both. You know, mm-hmm. one, one can't help but be excited by the, the variety of forms by which you know, good prose can reach people. It used to be just on a printed piece of paper, and now it's you know, over an iPhone or over a, uh, your, your computer. And that's exciting. It's a new way of getting into people's lives. I'm apprehensive about the, the swiftness of it all, the speed. I'm worried that that may affect quality. That mm-hmm. for a thing to, at least in my case, for a thing to end up any good that is lasting in its 
power and lasting in its the dance of language requires a thing to settle for a while and to sit on a desk and there, I think there's a maybe a tendency, at least I have it when I write emails. I, I don't even check my own sentences. <laughs> and yeah. uh, that of course is it's gonna that's gonna undermine prose. So it's a mixture of both and that uh, you know, that probably almost everything in the world is. Yeah. Well, um, that's that's a good way to end, I think. So, well, we really appreciate you coming on today, Mr. O'Brien. It's oh, been a real pleasure. pleasure. Thanks. And, Thank uh, you for a good question. Yeah, good luck with this tour, and uh, we hope you get home uh, soon and back to the writing. I can't wait. Okay. <laughs> Take care now, guys. All right, have a good one. Goodbye, good morning, and good luck. Thanks.